You're listening to audio from Mountain View Church located in Murphy, North Carolina. If you'd like more information, you can find us at www.mtnvu.org or on Instagram and Facebook at Mountain View Church NC. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning before we dive into the scriptures. I just want to remind you, That Vacation Bible School is coming up. It'll begin one week from tomorrow and run all week from June 20th through the 24th, 6 to 8 p.m. every night. And we've got a team of uh, 20 to 25 folks who are working diligently to get ready for that. And if you'd like to be part of that, um, there are still plenty of opportunities uh, to get connected and help out. Uh, Next Saturday, in fact, on June 18th, from 9 a.m. to 4, we're going to have a decorating day here to get ready for VBS, and then, of course, the week of, and then the Saturday after, on the 25th, um, our men's ministry is hosting a cookout and cleanup. So we're going to come in as men, and we're going to clean up and reset this building for Sunday morning, and then we're going to grill some hamburgers and hot dogs, and we're going to have a special guest speaker here who will uh, challenge and encourage us. And that'll be from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. So I hope you'll come. And in the meantime, uh, we've got several of these uh, invitation cards. And I hope that if you know a family uh, that has uh, elementary age children, that you'll give one to them and invite them uh, to come uh, to our VBS. I would like nothing more than to see this room full of kids. And I mean full to overflowing. Um, We've got a wonderful opportunity as that happens to share the gospel with them. And so I'd ask you to be praying uh, ahead of VBS uh, that the Lord will make that clear and that the Lord will open hearts to his truth. Well, we're in Exodus chapter 15 this morning, looking at verses 1 to 21. And these 21 verses of Exodus 15 are essentially a bridge between section one or part one and part two of the book of Exodus. In song form, they summarize for us what God has done in the first 14 chapters of the book and what God is going to do in the remainder of the book of Exodus. In effect, the song of Moses that we're going to work our way through this morning reminds us that the point of Exodus isn't merely freedom from death and slavery, but ultimately fellowship with God as a result. God intends to take this liberated band of former slaves, make them his own special possession, and come to dwell among them. This is essentially something that we forget many times when we recount the story of the Exodus. In fact, many of the movies of the Exodus, they essentially end with chapter 15. Now, they may go ahead to Mount Sinai in chapters 19 and 20, but for the most part, culturally speaking, we don't tell the whole story. But this song does, and it bridges the gap between part one and part two of the book. Now, I want to read the passage this morning, and I'd like for you to follow along as we do that. If you don't have a Bible, you'll find one um, underneath one of the seats in front of you. And I invite you to grab that. It's our practice here to work our way verse by verse through passages, chapters, and books of the Bible. And so there's nothing better than to have a copy of God's Word in front of you so you can follow along. This is what we read in Exodus chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots 
and his host he cast into the sea. And his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord. Glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord. Shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the water piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Yahweh, among the nations? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing all kinds of wonders? You stretched out your hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which you have established with your hands, the Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. May the Lord simply bless the reading and hearing of his word. And may he strengthen our hearts as we work our way through this text this morning. As I said, this particular song is a bridge between part one and part two of the book of Exodus. And in a real sense, these verses tell us exactly what's needed if we're going to get from point A to point B. If we're going to weather the wilderness of the in-between with God. In the book of Exodus, in fact, the in-between is called the wilderness. And to be sure, it's right around the corner for these people. In fact, all you got to do is look at verse 22 of chapter 15, and the scene completely changes. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went how many days? How many days? How many? Three. Three days into the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people did what? Grumbled against Moses saying, what are we going to drink, man? The children of Israel sing this amazing song on the shore of the Red Sea before the months-long trek to Sinai. A journey, in fact, that not three days into it finds them completely forgetting everything God had done for them and the fact that God had promised to travel with them. That journey, that wilderness journey, in so many ways, symbolizes life 
for all the people of God down through the ages in this messy middle between deliverance and promised land. You see, like the children of Israel, you and I have left Egypt behind if we are saved people. God has liberated us from the kingdom of darkness and planted us as citizens and sons and daughters in the kingdom of his beloved son. But you and I are not home yet. We aren't home yet, far from it. And here, in this messy middle between the first and the second comings of Jesus, you and I are tested and we are tried and we are tempted. And this is precisely why you and I need this victory song. It's precisely why you and I need to remember what God has done for us. We need a victory song because though the victory has been won and it has been won decisively by Jesus Christ, you and I all too quickly forget what it was like to live under Pharaoh and we find ourselves wanting to be back in Egypt. Our hearts grow weak. Our hearts grow weary. And one way that you and I can fight the woes of the wilderness is through what I want to call war song. Through battle song. Through singing to and with one another about the victory of our great God. Through praise that turns our heads and our hearts toward the God who has saved us and who will see us all the way home. So I want to approach this song this morning from the standpoint of being a people who live in the messy middle. You see, it's all too easy for you and I to forget. In fact, for me to forget personally who God is for me and what God has done for me. Look at the beginning of the passage. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he's thrown into the sea. Now, listen to these attributes and characteristics of God that Moses piles up in song. The Lord is my what? The Lord is my song. He has become my what? salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. You see, I all too quickly forget who God is for me and what he's done for me. I forget that Yahweh is my strength, and I'm certain that you do too. Remember back to last week as we walked through the Red Sea crossing, it was clear that Israel had no strength of their own whatsoever to overcome the sea in front of them, the mountains beside them, or the army of Pharaoh behind them. There, stuck between the sea and the looming army of Pharaoh, they were powerless to defend themselves, and yet... In the midst of their great distress and weakness, Yahweh arose as a mighty warrior to come personally and presently to the defense of his helpless people. It's why Moses has them sing, the Lord, Yahweh, is a man of war. Yahweh is his name. By the way, that is the definitive answer to the question that Pharaoh asked back in chapter 4. Who is Yahweh? Well, there's no question about who Yahweh is now. Right? The Lord is my strength. He came to the aid of his people. And just in the same way, through Jesus Christ, his son, he came to our aid when we were unable to deliver ourselves from slavery to sin and the curse of death. 
He came to our aid through Jesus' life and death and resurrection. When we were weak, he was and is strong. When we couldn't, God did. Even now, as a child of God, it's, it's not as if God gives me strength in, in, in the way that you and I might dispense or might have dispensed to us some super soldier serum that turns us all into Captain America type people. That's not how it works. God doesn't just dispense strength. No, according to the song, God gives us himself. Yahweh is my strength. This means that I find my strength not in the strength that God gives, but in the strength that God is. There's a big difference. Yahweh is my strength. Yahweh is my song. Think of, think of what it would have been like for the Israelites to pass through the water and to come out on the other side to witness the mighty power of the Lord and to think about the fact that they would never have to worry about Pharaoh or his army chasing them down again. They were truly free. Talk about a reason to burst into song. Talk about a reason, in fact, to sing a new song. Did you know that this is the first song recorded in the scriptures? The very first one. It is also one of the last songs recorded in the scriptures. We'll get there. I wonder, I was thinking about this this week, is it even possible to say that the Lord is my salvation without also saying that the Lord is my song? Is it even possible to enjoy the deliverance of the Lord from death and slavery and not sing? Before God's great act of deliverance in Exodus 14, if you'll remember back to last week, God told his people to stand still and to remain what? Silent. And to see the salvation of the Lord. Now, on the other side of the water, and for us, on the other side of the cross and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, how can we do anything but shout the victory that our God has won? The Israelites were to remain silent because they couldn't do anything to save themselves and they were to simply watch God save them. But once they were on the other side of the water, Moses led them in victory song. Saved people are singing people. Saved people are celebrating people. Saved people can't hold it in. Because we know where we've been, and we know where we are, and we know where we're headed. Amen. Yahweh is my strength. Yahweh is my song. Yahweh is my salvation. You see, Yahweh didn't just extend salvation to the people of Israel like Someone throwing out a life raft and expecting liberated slaves to simply grab hold of it so that he could pull them in. No, Yahweh personally came to their rescue. It's the same with us. Yahweh took on flesh and tabernacled among us so that the disciples could say, we have seen the glory of the living God. He became God with us in order to save us. He didn't send a messenger to ultimately accomplish his plans. He himself came. Did you know that the name Jesus or Yeshua means the Lord 
saves. God is my salvation. God is the one who draws near to deliver his people in a personal and powerful way. The children of Israel experienced this. The question this morning is, have you? Someone who is saved, someone who has experienced the liberating power of Christ from death unto life can't help but sing. Is there no song in your heart because you are unsaved? I think that's at least a question worth considering. Yahweh is my strength. Yahweh is my song. Yahweh is my salvation. Yahweh is, and I think this is the most personal one. Yahweh is my God. When Yahweh delivered his people from imminent death, through the waters of judgment. The Bible says that they feared him and believed in him. In that moment, at least, they were convinced because they had seen Yahweh's mighty power that there was none like Yahweh. In fact, the song declares that. There is none like you. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing mighty wonders? This was the God who was above all the gods of Egypt. The God who overcame the king of Egypt, whom the people of Egypt thought was in himself an incarnate deity. You see, once God has set us free, once God has set you free and set me free from slavery to the gods of this world, those gods no longer own me. Those gods no longer own you. This is the true and the living God. And once he has set us free and purchased us for himself, we belong to him because he belongs to us. So Yahweh is my God. And then it says Yahweh is my father's God. Now this is covenant language. The Red Sea crossing represented the fulfillment of all of God's previous promises to the patriarchs whom we read about in the book of Genesis. The Red Sea crossing represented God keeping the promises he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so the children of Israel look to this God, this God who is their strength, their song, their salvation, this God who has redeemed them unto himself, and the people of Israel sing, God, you are faithful. It's been 430 years, but you came through. You are faithful. What's the implication? You and I can trust him. No matter how long it takes for God to fulfill his word to his people, he's trustworthy. Now, now what's the point here? What's, what's, what's the point of all of these piled up attributes and characteristics of God? It's very simple. God is the gospel. God is the good news. It's God who is our strength. It's God who is our salvation. It's God who is our song. It's God who has called us into himself and made us his own that he might become our God. It's God who's been faithful to all of his promises to save and set apart a people from himself, for himself, including you and me. Ultimately, friends, the the, the gospel at the end of the day is not about going to one place or another when you die, although that will happen. The gospel is fundamentally the good news that God is all of the things that Moses says he is, and he can be all of those things for you. You must turn away from sin. You must reject the gods of this world. 
You must reject all of their shiny but empty promises. You must turn your back on Egypt and you must say, by faith, there is none like you. You alone are majestic in holiness. Will you rescue me? Now, if you're saved, God is all of these things for you. And you need to hear them. In fact, you and I probably need to hear them the most and we need to sing about them the loudest when we are tempted to shut our mouths because we just aren't feeling it. Now, I'm not talking about faking it till you make it. I'm talking about singing by faith. I'm not talking about doing something or not doing something because you either A, feel it or you don't. I'm talking about coming into a room like this and engaging the truth of the lyrics that we sing and engaging the truth that is preached in a way that says, God, I may not feel that these things are true, but I'm going to trust you and sing the words anyway. And I'm going to ask you to connect the dots between here and here. You see, the complexities, the questions, the disappointments, the setbacks, the challenges of the Christian life, they make it all too easy to forget what God did for me when he saved me and what he is doing for me right now. This is why you and I need a victory song. This is why you and I need a song like the song of Moses. What's your victory song? Do you have one? Do you have one that you come back to when your heart gets weary, when doubts creep in, when disappointments arrive, when temptation just will not take a hike? Do you have a victory song? You need one. You think, I, I think one of the main reasons that the Lord had the children of Israel learn and sing this song on the seashore has everything to do with not only what they had just come through, but where they were headed. They were soon, oh so soon, to enter the wilderness, which for them was a period of testing. And they needed a victory song to come back to. A song to remind them what God had done for them. A song to remind them of who God was for them, both at the sea and beyond. A song really to anchor them in God's mighty deeds when their strength was faltering and their circumstances were whispering to them that God could not be trusted and that God would not provide for them. Now look, as I've already said, some of you cannot sing this song because you can't rightfully say that God is your salvation or your song. The point being, you don't know God for yourselves. But I want to invite you to this morning. I want to invite you into a relationship with the God who saves, with the God who can become your forever song. With the God who can become your God. I tend to forget that he's my God. Especially when troubles brew. Second, I forget that God has overthrown the enemy. Now the rest of the song gets really specific about the general things in the first few verses. And so in 6 through 12, we read, Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Now, if you didn't notice, the address of the song changes too. In the first verses, the children of Israel are singing about the mighty, lords of the, the mighty deeds of the Lord. In the remainder of the song, they are singing to Yahweh. Both are important, by the way. We must recount the mighty deeds of the Lord and remember what God has done so that we can develop and deepen fresh faith in the present. 
But worship is more than just recounting the deeds of the Lord. Worship is interacting with our God. Worship is responding personally in a praiseworthy manner to his goodness. So that's what the children of Israel do. Verse 7, in the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. Now, the children of Israel are declaring God's victory over Pharaoh and his army. Declaring God's victory over the gods of Egypt. But you can be sure that there are spiritual powers behind the scenes that aren't going to leave them alone. In fact, we've already read verse 22. God is going to lead them out into the wilderness and the enemy is going to be right there waiting on them to tempt them. And you can be sure that the enemy of their souls and the enemy of ours isn't going to advertise himself as an already defeated foe. It's not how it works. And our flesh isn't going to roll over and die. The world around us isn't going to suddenly bring itself in line with God's will. You see, the unholy trinity of world, flesh, and devil are conspiring every day to weaken our faith. And one of the ways that you and I do battle with the forces of darkness is through praise. In fact, you might not see yourself this way, but you're a soldier. And you and I are to be an army of singing saints who every day and weekly when we come into this place rehearse the great victory of our God over the world, the flesh, and the devil. When the text says, in verse 2, I will praise him. It's literally, I will decorate him. Like a victorious soldier who's come home from war. I will pin medals upon him. I will shower him with praise and thanksgiving. When you and I come together and we praise Yahweh, our victorious king, and we praise his son, for crushing the serpent under his feet. We decorate our God and we make the forces of hell tremble because we remind them that the battle's already lost for them. And the battle is already won for our God. Now, it's not going to be long in the text until the children of Israel are met with enemies in the wilderness. And they're going to have to remember who fought for them and who won a mighty victory on their behalf at the sea. And there's a reason, there is a reason that the enemy would have them forget this song, and there's a reason the enemy would have you and I remain silent about what God has done for us. In other words, there's a reason that the enemy does not want you and I to sing about God's mighty deeds or to sing to our good and gracious king. Singing about God and singing to God glorifies God in our midst, but it does more than that. It actually changes you and me. It reinvigorates our hearts for battle. Did you know that singing is spiritual warfare? Singing is spiritual warfare. Now get this, what you and I do in this room, week in and week out, it may seem incredibly ordinary on the surface, but friends, it is anything but. In fact, what we do here is training. What we do here is boot camp. And very often, if you and I could see the supernatural realm with the eyes of faith, we would discover that what's happening in here right now is all-out open warfare. You do realize that the principalities and powers are here. 
They are in our midst. And right now they are trying to steal away gospel seeds that are being thrown upon every heart in this room. Right now, if you do not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the powers of darkness are working overtime to hide the truth from you. If you came into this room this morning discouraged and downhearted, they are whispering in your ear and trying to convince you that things will always be that way. That even though Jesus has saved you, his promises, they don't apply to you. The sun will never shine for you again. You might have come into this room and you might be struggling with a particular sin and you might not have known victory over that sin in a long time and the enemy is telling you, you never will. Because the power of Jesus that seems to apply to everybody else, you you don't get any of that. It's happening right now. Make no mistake about it. There are evil forces here attempting to distract, distress, dissuade, tempt, condemn. Even as you and I exchange hugs, sip cups of coffee, sing songs we've sung a hundred times before, and try our dead level best to focus on the truth of God's word. They're here. And one of the ways that we ambush them is by singing. Now look, Satan is not terrified of the guitars or the drums or the keyboards or the lights or the words on the screens. In fact, I don't think he cares one bit about those things. When you and I praise the king of all kings, when our praises are lifted up and we remind him that his head has been crushed and his his fate is sealed, I guarantee you it causes him to cower just a little bit. I guarantee you it reminds him that he is among the people of God whom God has set apart for himself and that ultimately if you are saved, he can never take you out of the Father's hand. Look, this is a place and this is intended to be a space where you and I come week in and week out and exchange the weight of the world for the weight of glory. Where we remind one another as fellow pilgrims who have been saved and are marching to our final salvation that Yahweh is our strength when we are weak. Yahweh is our song when we feel like we're out of breath. Yahweh is our salvation when we feel like there's no hope and no way out. Yahweh is our God. And there is none like him among all of the gods and all of their supposed goods on offer to us in the world. God has set us free from the grasp of the enemy and we owe him nothing. Accept the reminder that he may be free right now, but he won't always be. This is why we sing. And this is why we should sing loudly. This is why sitting up here at the front, at the end of the service, I should hear all of your voices behind me because I need you to sing to me. I forget what God has done for me. I forget the fact that God has crushed all my enemies. You realize war is not a quiet thing, especially when the battle has been 
one. You and I lift up the shield of faith by lifting up our voices in song. I forget what God's done for me, who he is for me. I forget that God has crushed the enemy. Thirdly, I forget that God is with me. Look at verse 13. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Two phrases there that stand out to me. You have led and you have guided. You have led and you have guided. This song recounts the fact that it is God himself through pillar of fire by night and cloud by day who has guided his people to this very point on the edge of the sea and is now prepared to lead them into the wilderness and toward Mount Sinai. The text goes on to tell us that because this God has saved them and because this God goes before them that the nations of the land of Canaan already what? Tremble in fear. As they prepare for their journey from the sea, they're going to face off against these nations. And when they face these tests, they're going to be tempted time and time again. And it does happen. They're going to be tempted to forget the God who saved them and who promised to go before them and go with them and fight all their battles. Y'all, I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to forget. When life's challenges arise or it doesn't feel like God is meeting my needs the way that I think he should, that he has ultimately forgotten me and left me. How many of you have ever felt like, well, God must have more important things to do right now? Then listen to this simple little request from little old me. How many of you have ever felt like you were abandoned or forgotten? Or that you were overlooked by your heavenly Father. Friends, those are the seasons when you and I need victory songs. And we need to sing them by faith. Because truth be told, all of us have those kinds of seasons. Those wilderness seasons where God does not feel as close as he does at other times. And we need true truth to remind us that God is indeed always with us. And he will never leave us or forsake us. Then that song goes on to talk about what awaits the children of Israel. Look at verse 17. You will bring them in and plant them on your mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. You see, the song not only looks backward, but it looks forward. As I've already mentioned several times, a long wilderness journey is ahead for the children of Israel. And frankly, you and I are in the midst of a long journey from first coming to second coming of Jesus, from salvation to promised land. And just like it will be for the children of Israel, it is oftentimes the challenges of this pilgrim life that compel me to forget that this is not my home. That there are greater riches than the riches on display here that await me. You see, I, I don't only need songs that reflect to my mind and heart what God has done. I need songs that remind me of what God will do. I need songs that remind me of what awaits me. I need songs like this one that basically talk like it's a done deal. You're going to bring them in. You're going to plant them on your mountain, the place, O oh Lord, which you have made for your abode. You're going to bring this people all the way home. And like the children of Israel who do eventually cross the Jordan and get there, you and I will too. But man, oh man, 
In the midst of the journey, y'all, that's hard to believe sometimes. This Christian life is tiring. Temptations can overwhelm. Trials feel like they will never pass. It's easy to get distracted, to take our eyes off the prize, so to speak. It's also easy to get discouraged by the disappointments and the setbacks and to forget the promise that remains for all of those who remain faithful to Christ. We will see the face of God. And we will be with him forever when he brings us all the way home. Friends, we need the music of the future if we're to remain steadfast in the present. There aren't as many songs being written about heaven as there were, say, 100 or 150 years ago. Did you know that? I wonder why that is. We don't think a lot about death anymore like they used to. Our lives are lasting longer and longer. And frankly, I wonder if it's because we're just a little too content here. Living in the land of Egypt with Pharaoh watching over us and supplying us with everything we need. Finally, I want you to notice the last line of the song. The Lord will reign forever and ever. The song closes with essentially what is a declaration of the greatness of Yahweh. You see, when our lives are falling apart and when we've got more questions than answers, when it feels like the world is upside down and we question whether we're ever going to make it out alive, you and I need the regular reminder that our God reigns. That he is ruling over the chaos. That none of it has taken him by surprise. Whether it's on a global level, a national level, or a personal level. Our God reigns. This is a song that you and I need to hear. A song that we need to sing to one another over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. So much in life tempts us to believe that everything is out of control or that everything is about us. And when we can't control it, we descend into anxiety and panic. But the scriptures teach us that God has history and our lives well in hand. And like Miriam, Moses' sister, who took up the song and the tambourine and called all the women to join her, and she began to sing this song back to the people. You and I need that. We need regular reminders that our God is sovereign. That's why what we do here, though it may seem incredibly ordinary, is so vital to our faith. I guarantee you there's going to be a Sunday where you come into this room feeling so defeated that all you can do is sit and listen to the people of God sing the truth of God over you. Don't stay home. Come and sit and listen. Come and sit and let the word of truth wash over you. There's freedom in this place for that. Come and be reminded that your God and mine is sovereign. And when your heart connects to your head regarding that truth, stand up and belt it out so somebody else can hear it. Y'all, I need to hear that too. And I know that you do. Look, I said earlier that this is not only one of the first songs. In fact, it is the first song in the Bible. It's also one of the last. Did you know that? 
Listen to Revelation chapter 15, verses 1 to 4. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass. Now, now this is all Exodus language, by the way. I hope you hear that. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing where? Beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands and they sing what? The song of Moses. You better be memorizing it now, friends. Because you and I are going to sing it for a long, long time. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying. Can we we recite this together? Do you have your Bible? Are you ready? Great... And amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I pray that the song of Moses would not only be a song that finds its way onto our lips, but a song that makes its way deep into our hearts, that it would indeed become a victory song for your people right here and right now in this place. But more than that, on Monday morning, God, here's the temptation. Lord, it's easy to come into this place to feel your presence among your people, and to sing your praises. It is much more difficult to walk out of here, to sleep another sleep, to wake up on Monday morning, and to realize, oh my goodness, Jesus is still on the throne. But I pray that that happens for all your people. I pray that you will undergird our faith as we sing this final song and that you will send us out as a praising people who make warfare not only on the enemy in this room, but in our everyday lives through the power of praise. Oh Lord, be with us now as we respond. And Father, even if we don't know this song, may we receive its truth, may we learn it, and may we sing it together ultimately to lift up and exalt Jesus, our conquering King, in whose name we pray. Amen.